You're listening to Q Marriage Mentors with Jeff Lutz, a podcast featuring conversations with remarkable lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender couples. What makes great relationships work? Jeff will ask the questions. You'll hear the answers. Together, we'll learn. Hey, everybody. Jeff here. Today, my guests are Jeff Zacharias and Brad Easton from Chicago, Illinois. Jeff is a psychotherapist and Brad is a lawyer, and together they own and operate New Hope Recovery Center, an addictions treatment program in Chicago. Later in the episode, they talk about how Jeff's own addictions nearly killed him, how Brad supported him in recovery, and what they've learned about addiction in the LGBTQ community. But first, we discussed how they met and began co-parenting their daughter. Jeff began our conversation. We met in December of 2004, and we met on the, uh, it wasn't an app at the time, it was web-based, but it was Manhunt is how we met. Um, And it was kind of funny because I was going on there looking for a hookup, if I'm being honest, and Brad was not, and he had mentioned that his daughter was having a sleepover, and I, of course poo-pooed that idea and thought it was, you know. He thought thought it was a lame excuse for not getting together that day. That's right. When, in fact, he does have a daughter, and that was true. So it's kind of been a running joke since. And what was it that you saw in each other? I'll let Brad go first on that one. For me, it was uh, someone who could talk about things other than, um, I don't know, what do you look like, what are you doing, and... uh, I, I think I was on Manhattan more to to just find gay connections because I'd come out probably less than a year before. I was previously married, had a daughter. And so the people who were just truly looking for a hookup, I we didn't click because there it just seemed like there wasn't it wasn't worth it to me. And he seemed like a very nice person, had a good heart. I, I think for me it was I was, I had just been sober a little over a year. And so it was trying to find connections with people that, you know, weren't involved in the world that I used to be involved in. And, um, you know, we're not, we're really kind of simple people. We're not fancy clothes and fancy houses and this sort of thing. So there was one of the things I appreciated was, you know, the focus on building connection rather than, partying or objects or you know fancy things it was just it was an easy connection and uh there's just a was a real simplicity and there still is which i appreciate that's that's continued uh throughout your 14 years it has yeah we're we we like to focus on experiences rather than sort of you know external things which is it's just something i've always appreciated and to be quite honest, many in the gay community do seem to be focused on uh, external things. So what that, what's that been like for you all to be a couple who would rather focus on your connection and your relationship and your time together? Well, there, you know, there is sort of a sacrifice that comes with that um, because there aren't, you know, there are not a lot of gay couples around us, period. And then, 
you know, some that we know, particularly younger ones, I think have that kind of a focus, which is, you know, to each their own. But, uh, you know, in some ways it's been a little limiting, but in some ways, you know, it's allowed us, I think most important ways is to focus on us and, uh, you know, having the life that we want and family members that we want. And, um, yeah, so I, I, it seems to have worked out fine. Uh, it, it, we do sort of, uh, I suppose, miss out on a lot of sort of uh, parties and things like that somewhat. Although now at our age, there's, I think there's a lot fewer than there used to be when I first came out 14 years ago. Um, Brad, you talked about uh, coming out just briefly before you and Jeff met. Jeff, how about you? Had you been out for a while and what was your prior relationship experience? Well, I've I've known I was gay since as early as I can remember. I don't think I officially told anyone till I probably was 20 or 21. And I really only told my mom because she directly asked me. Um, so that was my coming out experience. And it was good, both her and my father, which, you know, he was we had a very contentious relationship for a number of reasons. Uh, they both were really good with it. And I, you know, my uh, coming out story is not, you know, it's atypical for a lot of people. I got acceptance from my, my parents, certainly, and my whole family. I mean, they've, you know, I've never been shut out. Uh, I grew up in a deeply religious, uh, you know, kind of fundamentalist house. Uh, so, you know, it was a process for them to come out as well. Um, but they've all for the, as, to my recollection, have all been very supportive and are very supportive of Brad as well. Having grown up uh, Southern Baptist myself and been yeah. part of communities of faith, I know that many people in faith communities, especially those who might be part of more of a fundamentalist uh, kind of bent, often have a lot of difficulty ever accepting their LGBT loved ones. So say a little bit more about that, Jeff. How did your family sort of overcome their teaching, if you will, um, in terms of religion to f uh, such a good place of acceptance for you and Brad? My mom and I talked a lot about it after the coming out. You know, we had an incident when I was 16 uh, and it was a day in church. The youth pastor of the church outed me in front of the entire congregation and, uh, you know, made it a point to say that he knew I was gay and I was going to hell and this sort of thing. So that was the first time anything ever really came out about it, but I never copped to it. So I think by the time I was 21, I think my mom had done her own sort of soul searching and um, trying to figure it out. Um, and it just, I, I don't know. She and I had really good conversations about it. My dad, we never really talked about it, although he made it clear that he was good with it. Um, he was a, a racist and some other things that were going on that complicated things. But at least in that one area, he was very supportive. Um, and my my grandmother was wonderful. And my cousins and I are still, you know, they're, still in contact with them. And I, there, I think, you know, we're in the space where we can hold that 
both thoughts can be true, that they can hold on to their faith and I can be who I am and that, you know, that that's okay. I see. Brad, uh, tell us a little bit more about your coming out experience because you were married. And so how did you kind of figure things out and uh, make the transition out of your marriage to a, a place where you could meet Jeff? So I sort of first came out to, I suppose, my wife when after therapy for a while. Um, once we decided to separate, uh, I came out to my parents in a letter and kind of did my homework and read coming out or whatever the book's called. And, uh, that I, I think for them, they're, they're both pretty, I wouldn't say necessarily liberal, but they're definitely not conservative, but for them, it was such a shock because, uh, my, our daughter is their only granddaughter. And so it just kind of seemed out of the blue. But after probably a year and a half, they both came around to um, accepting me, accepting Jeff. And now uh, my mom is the only one still living. She's actually the only, uh, of all of our parents, the only one still living. So she's very supportive and um, will call us her boys and considers Jeff her son. And um, so it's, it's changed a lot. But it was helped me to sort of realize that just like it took me a while, much longer than usual to come out, it, my parents needed time to adjust and um, reset themselves. So you meet on Manhunt and Jeff thinks it's just going to be a hookup and he thinks mm. you are lying, Brad, and then he figures <laughs> out you're telling the truth. So tell me more about your daughter and what that was like. Uh, both in the early days, uh, just getting to know each other and also trying to co-parent? Yeah. Um, well, in the early days, she was five, six, so she was pretty young, and there was a lot more uh, sort of parent focus. She would spend most of the uh, – I co-parent with my ex-wife, so I think mostly weekends she would be with my ex-wife and during the week with me uh, because it, she could – we had a place for her to do schoolwork and things like that. And um, certainly we went through the the moody teenage years. We went through the whatever the 11, 12, 13 years are. I don't know what to call them, but they definitely have their own thing going on. And now that she's uh, going to be a senior in college, it's uh, um, it, we, we, Jeff's been in her life for quite a while. And Jeff, how about for you? What was it like to meet somebody and realize that to be together, you were going to have to parent as well? Well, that's in some ways it's been an easy transition and there's a lot of ways that it's been very difficult. So I met her when she was six. Um, and, I, you know, my frame of reference, of course, growing up was that marriage wouldn't even be a possibility and or certainly parenting. So, you know, it was intriguing to me that uh, I would be potentially a step parent. And, you know, it kind of went along with, I guess, my own sort of recovery and that, you know, I had to change everything and change all my worldviews and whatnot. Um, so, you know, we we were at the beginning kind of standoffish to each other, just kind of trying to figure it out. And then when we made the move to living, uh, to moving in together, that was very difficult, I will say. And including on the first day that we moved in, she had sort of a meltdown and 
told us that she was a boiling cauldron of rage. Those are her exact words uh, that I was moving in and, you know, essentially upending the apple cart. But I think part of it was that she had gone through the divorce of her mom and dad. And so the thought of that potentially happening again, or one being involved in a relationship again, um, was very difficult. And so, you know, she's been in my life for 14 years now and, you know, it's, we have our up and down days, but I love her dearly. And I think she loves me. She's not totally expressive. She's kind of a typical 20 year old college student, but, um, she's lovely and kind and smart as I'll get out, which of course I don't have anything to do with biologically. That's Brad and his <laughs> ex-wife, but, uh, you know, she's an amazing kid and, you know, I, I think we both know that it's not always easy, um, but we've just kind of figured out a groove on how to co-parent. It tends to be that uh, in the moments where she is talkative, she talks with me about more personal things like I took her to buy her first bra and, you know, we talked about drugs and she and I've had those conversations and Brad is more of the homework person and sort of the, the problem fixer kind of thing. So we take on very different roles. Did that, that happen naturally or did you, was there a discussion about who would take on what roles? No, I, it seemed to happen really naturally. I don't think we ever set out to say, here's what each of us are going to do. And, you know, it's, it's also, we try to be, I especially try to be very careful not to step on like her mother's toes because her mother's very important to her. Um, and so, and I don't know, it just sort of, I don't know if that was the therapist in me or what it was, but it just is, she's kind of in her mind assigned us certain things to, to talk about. And she and I talk about more Frank things than her and her dad do other dad. Yeah, that's definitely true. The, uh, I think part of it was we both gravitated towards our strengths. So being a lawyer and kind of analytical, figuring out things and, processes and all that was my strong point and Jeff being a therapist talking about feelings and things like that is more his and um, I think it's possible that it was more her deciding who she was went to for different things ah she she sort of selected what was best for her yeah I think so and buying a bra with the (laughs) non-biological dad was a better choice (laughs) it was well it was actually I think Brad said that it needed to happen. And so, you know, I, I remember the day we went, we went to Target, it was hot and it was sunny. And I remember even both of us saying, boy, this is, this is bizarre, you know, and cause I, I had never, I have never been with a girl sexually. And so didn't I didn't, I, I didn't have sisters and the thought of a bra was completely off of my radar. And so, you know, we, we were able to laugh about it. And I think that's one of the things that solidified the fact that that I was assigned that role in her mind. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of been that way ever since. You and her were laughing about it. We did laugh about it. She, she, it was important to address the, you know, the oddness in that moment of I'm not either biological parent and here I am buying this, you know, we're talking about sex and these sorts of things. And uh, that, I had taken on that role. So I think looking back, we both, we found it funny then. I think we'd find it funny now. 
So, you know, I think the um, there's a lot more research about this uh, now, and uh, people aren't stuck in these old ideas as much as before. But um, historically, people have wondered what what might it be like for uh, a girl to be in a home with uh, uh, two men, and d- were there ways in which you compensated in terms of the female role. I know her mother was involved, but how did you kind of balance out the need for male and female in her life? Uh, Early on, uh, we did lots of sort of sleepovers, have friends over so that she could uh, do things with female friends. And uh, there were times where I can remember certain work friends that had children about the same age as her, where I would ask them, like, I, I'm not sure what I do about this. And uh, I think that helped as well, because I could we could sort of get input from other um, places. And my mother off and on has been involved. So I think there's certain things that she would talk about with, with our daughter or um, my daughter would talk to her about that sort of balance things out. It, uh, you know, one of the things that I think has been helpful is... Of course, we've lived in Chicago the whole time we've been together. We're on the north side, which is the very heavily LGBT side of town. So we, she didn't have the experience, nor did we have the experience of being sort of ostracized or shunned. Uh, quite the opposite, actually, of being two males, you know, raising a daughter. She went to a private um, grade, school. grade school, and then she went to a very liberal sort of forward-leaning uh, high school, Northside College Prep. And of course, she's at Northwestern now. But so we we didn't feel like, and I don't think we ever had to balance that, trying to hide no. her from the fact that she had two gay parents. And, you know, it, it just sort of fell into it. And we had a pool in our backyard and there were kids over a lot. And, you know, nobody really has ever, we haven't had the experience of having to try to, uh, hide from the fact that she had two gay dads. She's been very open with it. And um, and we know that that experience might be different than, you know, downstate Illinois or the Midwest or the South, certainly. Um, But it, it, it was really kind of a non-issue to be honest. Yeah. I think so too. We used to have an annual, her birthday's the day after Christmas. So we would have a uh, pool party exactly halfway from her birthday in June and for probably five years, everyone in her class, uh, it was a small sort of class at her grade school, would come over and the parents were all very supportive and sort of help us with the party and whatever we needed. And um, I think it's one of the few times that I can remember that all the class would get together at some, you know, sort of at a party or an event. And so all the other parents appreciated that. Well, she sounds like an amazing young lady. And um Jeff, I've heard you speak before, and you're very um, authentic and open about the fact that not only do you and Brad own and operate a recovery center, but that you're in recovery yourself. So, And you mentioned that earlier in the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit more about that in terms of what it was like to have someone in recovery and someone not in recovery together? What were the dynamics there? Well, we, Brad didn't know me when I was actively using. I uh, last 
date of any kind of use was May the 16th of 2003. And we met at uh, the end of 2004. But I, I know for a fact that I started drinking at 10. Um, I grew up in a home with an alcoholic. And, you know, in the South, in the deep South where I grew up, uh, moonshine and some of those things, they were just, it was all over. It was in the house. And um, I can remember, you know, the old wives tale about having a cold and putting whiskey on the gums and all that sort of thing. I can remember that and remembering that I liked it. And I was drinking fairly regularly after that and drugs were not far behind. And so I used consistently for 25 years. Uh, and I, I've used, there isn't one thing I haven't done, um, other than the sort of synthetic things that people buy on the dark web now, but I use them all, but it was, uh, it was crystal meth was the one that I, I really could not shake. Um, and, um, so it was, uh, again, it was a, a solid 25 years and, you know, it led to being homeless. I had been to prison twice for meth-related charges. Um, and the last day I used, I had an accident. Abandoned building. I was using IV. I blacked out and fell over the side, uh, four floors to concrete, and um, shattered my elbows, broke my arms, broke both my knees, four ribs, and a bunch of bones in my face. Wow. Um, but clearly lived. And, you know, it was the thing that I can remember laying on the ground and seeing bones and blood and, and feeling a sense of relief rather than uh, anything else that I kind of knew that was it. And I haven't, you know, I haven't picked up anything since then. The guy I know today and the guy that you're describing sound like two very different people. Oh, but, you know, I weighed 130 pounds. I was, you know, I was, I was a wreck. Um, and so it, it, you know, I had to be in a relationship with my first for that self for that first year before I could be in a relationship with Brad. And um, it took a lot of my own therapy and everything to figure out what my path was going to be and to be open to dating because the relationships I'd had previous to then were not healthy. Because I wasn't available to have a relationship with a person because I was having relationships with drugs and, you know, all of that stuff. So um, he didn't he didn't know me, but I was I have been and I will continue to be very frank about the fact that I'm in recovery. I don't buy into the fact that this has to be an anonymous thing for me. I recognize that other people want it to be. But for me, shame lives and not telling my truth. And, um, so I was, I vividly remember saying to Brad early on what my story was, uh, partly because I needed to tell my truth and partly because I needed to figure out what, where he stood with it. Um, and he's had his own experiences with loved ones with addiction. And, um, so it, it you know, it's taken a lot of work, uh, he had to build trust up in me because I was so fresh in the process. And, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that having come off a divorce, he was gun shy of getting involved in another relationship that there could be a possibility 
of an ending, particularly when there was a child involved. Um, but it's, it's just taken a lot of work, but, um, I, I'm very open about it. He's open about it. You know, it's, it's essentially a couple that are in recovery together because, because of our families that have issues and us having our own issues. And, uh, so we're, you know, I, I think we would both consider ourselves to be in recovery. Yeah. I would agree. So guys owning the treatment center together and working so intimately and closely with the LGBT community, what have you learned about our community's needs when it comes to understanding love and relationship? What, what advice would you give to others? Uh, there's a lot, I suppose. One is that, uh, it, it, I think it's somewhat difficult for LGBT couples because there aren't a lot of uh, role models or uh, even books written or things like that that where you can kind of see there are a lot of things that it's just like any other couple. And then there are things that it's not, depending on where you live and how um, LGBT friendly it is. Um, and then... Um, the, I, the thing that I think helps the most is you have to talk about literally just about everything and, um, sort of everything's a discussion and not really a negotiation, but you just have to figure things out. So, um, what one of us is good at or wants to do, and then we can kind of, um, divide up even daily things. I would say working together may have been the most difficult thing for me because we didn't work together the whole time. I had my own job as a lawyer and Jeff was a social worker. And so we probably had, how long do you think? Eight, eight years of sort of the relationship where we weren't working together. And then once we started working together, that was very hard because we see each other every day. We work one door down from each other. And so that was a lot of sorting out that um, if I had to give advice for people that are working together, you really do need to almost treat the business as a separate either child or something like that. And you have to have very clear boundaries of, for us, it was uh, after seven o'clock at night, we do not discuss the business no matter what. And we could talk about it at dinner, but that was it. And so it, cause you, otherwise you only have the business. You don't have your relationship anymore. It requires a lot of communication. It requires a, a lot of trust and vulnerability and transparency. And, you know, that's tough to do if a person learns to grow up in a house where secrets are held. Um, so if we go back to, you know, very early when we're developing attachments to our primary caregivers and whatnot. If, cause people know younger and younger that there's something different about them. So they learn to hide because they feel like the world is not a safe place to give that sort of most intimate truth about themselves. Um, so the, you know, there's a lack of trust. There's a lack of 
honesty. And then that's where addiction and the mental health issues and the trauma, they, they live there. That's where their roots dig in. And so it becomes very difficult, I think, to know what a healthy relationship looks like if it was never modeled for you. Um, and then there's no, you know, I, I can speak for when we were younger, there were, there were no groups like PFLAG for our parents to go to. There were no books written on how to have a conversation about same sex with your child. And um, so some of those key things get missed. Um, and that's where a lot of, I feel like a lot of the dysfunction comes in perhaps later in life with, again, with addiction and whatnot. So to parents and caregivers, I guess I would ask that you know, that the community needs open discussions and the ability, ability to differentiate how to love your child, but also to have your own, you know, you can have your own core set of beliefs. You're certainly entitled to those, but that doesn't mean you don't love your child for who they are. So if we could start there, that would be great. I think it's also important for people in the community to know that addiction is epidemic in our community. Um, the estimates are that 30% of our community is impacted by addiction, but that requires a double coming out process because people have to say that they're LGBTQIA as well as having an addiction issue. Well, if we didn't have the opportunity to practice being out early on, then, you know, how many people are going to be comfortable with both those statistics? So um, the numbers are high. It's driven a lot by cultural norms with bars and advertising. And um, so I think, you know, just for our community to have the awareness that it's higher to look out for their friends, say something if you see something. Um, it's generally not one issue. So it's not somebody is only a person that's struggling with alcohol. More than likely, there's a mental health issue. There might be a co-occurring, you know, process addiction, um, we need to be listening out for talks of suicide. I mean, there's, you know, we need to learn how in the community to be having those talks with each other, even if you didn't see it modeled for you as a younger person. Yes, um, yes, yes. Thank you for that, Jeff and, and Brad. And I have so many more questions, but our time went very quickly. And I just want to thank no. you all for being willing to come on the show today and tell your story and be so open and uh, offer some advice to our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you're, you. Yeah, you're welcome. Do you know any LGBT couples with interesting stories and wisdom to share on the show? Jeff would love to meet them. So please contact him through the website at qmarriagementors.com. Until next time, thanks for listening and have a great week.